pray, Father, we just thank you for uh, the fact that we can be here tonight, and Lord, we can uh, just uh, understand uh, how you feel about uh, the topic of uh, homosexual behavior, Lord, and just pray that we would uh, be able to understand uh, from your perspective, Lord, that uh, what's good and what's not good, and and Lord, uh, how you feel about uh, the whole situation. Lord, just pray you give us uh, wisdom and give us your spirit to teach us that uh, we can know all this. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're in Genesis chapter 19. And uh, we're not going to go that far in Genesis 19 today. Uh, We're going to cover verses 1 through 11. Um, But what we're really going to do is kind of cover the topic of basically judgment and also uh, homosexuality uh, that's in the Bible. So let's just read 1 through 11 and we'll come back and get started. It says, now that, oh yeah, last week thinking when we left off, you know, that I think basically what's happening is Abraham and the Lord were standing there and they went through this little bargaining uh, uh, session there about how many, if how many righteous people were, you know, in Sodom would God spare them. And so while they're doing that, the, it, the narrative talks about the, the two angels that they left uh, and they went down to Sodom. And so in 19, it picks up there. It says, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. And he said, "Uh, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend our night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered uh, his house. And then he made a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Then they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men that came to you tonight? Uh, bring them out to us so we may know them carnally. So Lot went out, went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind them and said, Please, my brethren, Do not do so wickedly. See how I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do with them as you wish. Only do nothing uh, to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, "This This is one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Uh, now we will deal worse with you than with them. So he pressed hard. So, so they pressed hard against the man lot, and they came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both great and small, so that they became weary trying to find the door. So this chapter is. Uh, basically it's it's setting up the judgment of God, and so what I want to do is I want to 
just kind of give a little background. Uh, God is coming to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for sure. Uh, there's been hints to it in the scripture. But I want to go back just a little bit about judgment. So if we go back to Genesis 6-5, uh, in Genesis 6-5 it says, uh, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, so the reason I want to go back to this is when, when God gets ready to do a judgment, it's not something that is, oh, I think I'm going to just go down and you know destroy the earth with a flood. Uh, if you can see here in Genesis 5, 5, he, 6, 5, he says that every intent and the thoughts of their heart was only evil uh, continually, okay? So um, it, it wasn't a light decision. And if you remember the way it went is uh, he chose Noah, and it took Noah 120 years to build the ark, and so they had a 120-year time frame in there. Uh, before the flood actually came. And so people had a chance to basically repent, you know, change their mind about God and stuff, and uh, nevertheless, they didn't. So question one, it says, when God judged the earth uh, with the great flood, uh, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So, as you know, a lot of times we'll look at our culture and we'll think things are pretty bad, uh, but uh, not as bad as this. And we're talking about every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So it was just an ongoing thing. I mean, we're talking about something that's hard for me to even imagine. So I want you to keep this kind of in mind because. At the end, we're going to come back, actually come back to this. So Genesis 13, uh, uh, it says, uh, Genesis 13, verses 12 and 13, it says that Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So, you know, a few chapters ago, it starts basically laying the groundwork here that there were the the city of Sodom Sodom was uh, basically hostile towards God. So in, in number two, it says the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. In Genesis 14, 2, uh, in Genesis 14.2, uh, it basically says, Bera, king of Sodom. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the name Bera actually means uh, son of evil. So in number three there, Bera, king of Sodom, Bera means son of evil. It's, you know, everything is kind of like in a name. Um, when I spent, you know, a lot of time in the military in my last... Uh, my last tour was a company commander at boot camp. And so a company commander at boot camp is kind of like a king. I mean, I mean, you have a lot of control over a group of guys. 
and uh, with a common thing on the streets, uh, you know, you got at any given time, you could have, you know, a few thousand recruits march around, you know, in groups of 90. And if you could see a group of recruits over here doing something that they shouldn't be doing or messing up, it was a common phrase that we just look at the recruits and if there are company commanders around, we just say, well, they're just a direct reflection of the company commander. And, uh, and a lot of organizations, if you're involved in a lot of a captain of a ship, if he has a, have a certain mindset or a certain way, and then the organization, the ship takes on that same, uh, uh, same you know, uh, character, if you will. And so I think it's, it's kind of interesting that, that uh, the king of Sodom, was his, basically his name meant son of evil. And um, it, it's basically the people reflect him or he reflects the people, however you want to think of it. In Daniel, uh, Daniel 4, uh, it talks about the rulers of men and how, how God chooses them. I'm just going to read and start in 17. It says, This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. And in order to know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, so God's in control of everything, he gives it to whomever he pleases and sets it, and sets over it the lowest of men. So, you know, I think that basically what that really means is the the people are kind of a direct reflection of the ruler. And so it doesn't matter, like even in our our culture where we have, you know, we, we vote, but, you know, if you're from one political persuasion and if the opposition party is in and then, you know, then that guy is the lowest of them all, right? But he reflects the lowest common denominator of that group of people. And then, but if your party's in, and then the other party feels the same way. But the whole idea is, is that the way God runs things, not always the best and the brightest are the ones that come become rulers. And that's just a, a biblical fact. So there's another thing that, that kind of comes into play as I've been reading through this is that, you know, God's getting ready to judge, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. And we don't really know what else God has got going on. Uh, in uh, Genesis 15, 15 and 16, uh, just to give it some context, uh, in 15 it says, now as for you, this is God talking to Abraham in, in uh, chapter 15, it says, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God has this separate program going over, and he kind of reveals a little bit to us that he's basically saying, yeah, you know, fourth generation, your people are going to come in, because really I'm doing something over here with these guys, but they're wicked, but it hasn't got to the point to where we're going to switch you guys out. So God has things that's going on that we have no idea uh, what's happening. So, and number four, God has things going on that we don't know about. So, there's another judgment to come, actually. And Jesus uses the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah as examples. So, in Luke 17, 
uh, starting at verse 26, uh, Jesus says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and, and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. It's kind of interesting because he takes these two different judgments, really, and he talks about the conditions before the judgment. In the first one, he talks about marriage. Uh, you know, it says they, they married wives, they were given in marriage. But in the second one, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, he there's marriage isn't mentioned in there at all. And um, it just kind of made me think of where just Jesus, just in my lifetime, like marriage was was a lifetime deal, basically, when I was growing up. And, and now it's almost optional. I mean, if you run it, if you, because I, I know I tell people I've been married for 35 years, and they're like, wow, you've set some sort of land speed record or something, you know, to be married that long, but it's moving, what, 42, 42 years. Awesome, yeah. But so the idea, though, is is that uh, it just made me think about our culture and, you know, a lot of things that are happening in our culture, we can really kind of draw a lot of perils, uh, 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 parallels between uh, us and, and really Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, uh, but on the, on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Uh, I don't know, it just made me think a little bit about our own culture and what's going on. Okay, uh, starting at Genesis, we'll start at Genesis 19, 1 right now and go through. It says, Now the two uh, angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So he's sitting in the gate. So uh, Lot was kind of like a frog in the frying pan. You've heard the analogy, you put a frog in a frying pan and put some cold water in it, turn the heat on low, and gradually the heat just gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and the frog doesn't realize it until it's too late, and then he's like boiled frog legs. So uh, he's he. if you remember what happened, he's. I look at it as sort of a, if you want to think about it, and something you can visualize, almost like a geographical uh, progression, because... Um, he initially pinched, pitched his tent, you know, on the plain near Sodom. And then uh, we know he's sitting in the gate now. And so in order to be sitting in the gate, that means he was some sort of a city official. But before he did that, he had to actually move into the city. So he moves into the city. Now he's at the city for a while. Now he runs for I don't know, city council or whatever. Becomes an official. So he's actually totally integrated into that into that culture um, and it's a, it's a progression of uh, decision uh, making it's kind of like uh, um, I mean I can totally relate to this is you know if you're you're just on you're on the road of life and 
and you're faced with this decision and you know that it's not good, you know that it's a sin, and you deliberate over it and it gives you angst, you know, but ultimately you succumb to the temptation, whatever it may be, and then you commit that sin. And then when you're presented with the opportunity to do that again, it gets easier and easier and easier. And so you could fall into this temptation, this path of changing. And so I think that's probably uh, what's happened to Lot here. It actually probably started back in Egypt. Remember when they're in Egypt, they got a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, they went into Egypt, but they came out with herds and, you know, and all kinds of people and everything. They, you know, from a from a fiscal standpoint, they did very well in Egypt. So I think it probably started there, and then it continued on when he moved on to the plain. I think First John, though, really, I mean, I've read through First John many times, uh, First John two fifteen through seventeen. So question five, Lot gradually integrated his life in Sodom, but going to First John two fifteen, if you think about what Lot's life here, or maybe my life, not you, but you can think about mine, says here, uh, I think it accurately, it really kind of accurately describes Lot's condition. So starting in 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, okay, lust is not a word that we use commonly anymore, but I think a good good paraphrase of the lust of the flesh would be the craving for physical pleasure. Okay, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh are craving for physical pleasure. The lust of the eyes are craving for everything that you see. And the pride of life, or the pride in our achievements and possessions, is not of the Father, but is of the world. But is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust or cravings of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So you can kind of—it's sort of convicting. Where you can look at—you can—it's easy to look at Lot and see, you know, somebody else. And and I think the what went on with Lot uh, was uh, exactly what was talked about here in First John. You know, he's—you uh, know. I mean, obviously, Sodom was a place of physical pleasure, no doubt about it. And I, I think that drew him to Sodom. And then, uh, you know, then they had everything. I'm sure they had all the fast cars and the latest cell phones. Everything was in Sodom, you know. And so everything you see, you know, he could have. And then he could look at himself and say, well, look, you know, I came here and at first I was just a sheep herder and now I'm in town part of the government, you know, and I got all these achievements. And so it's uh, easy to get caught up in that. Uh, let's see. So, or did I, I think I got, got ahead of myself here. 
Okay, starting at, uh, it says, when Lot, when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. I think that, you know, Lot, like Abraham, you know, basically the same response as Abraham, but uh, Abraham kind of fell to the ground. Lot just kind of bent over and looked down. I think he wasn't completely spiritually dead, but he was definitely moving in that direction. Verse 2, he says, And here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. So he extends his hospitality to the angels, and they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. Um, I think, you know, the angels, they knew Lot's background, and they're like, eh, maybe not. I don't think so. Or it could have just been a test to see if he was going to invite them in. Verse 3, but he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. So I think that Lot knew that it wasn't safe on the streets of Sodom at night. I mean, it's uh, here again, I just go back to my own life. You know, I grew up as a young kid in the 50s, you know, a long time, long, long ago, far, far away. And, but we never locked our doors. I mean, even when we went to the store, We'd leave the keys in the ignition and the windows down. It's like, it's not like that anymore. So it's kind of scary. So a lot of the stuff that we're reading about actually reminds me of where we're at right now. So <clears throat> then, he made them, uh, then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. So I saw the unleavened bread in there and I thought, does this have any significance? And I think basically... They had come in the evening, and it was just quicker to make unleavened bread than it was bread that had yeast in it. So later on, with the with the uh, with Moses, uh, the unleavened bread came to represent the absence of sin. But I'm not sure that was the case here. I think it was just he wanted to get some food on the table for him. It says, "Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young." All the people from every quarter surrounded a house. If you look at that, it sounds like a mob to me. It's like both old and young. All the people from every quarter surrounded a house. It sounds kind of scary to me. And they called out, called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them carnally. So... Um, I guess uh, normal, in my idea, when I read that right off the bat, it's just an understanding that the men of Sodom, they wanted to have homosexual relations uh, with the angels that were staying at Lot's house. And uh, the word carnally actually is not even in the original text. It's something that got added, and uh, which is unfortunate because of the current state of our culture. There is a... I kind of researched this topic about 10 years ago, and then I kind of revisited it again here this last week. And uh, there was, was a significant amount of teachers that are tempting to the fact that that word carnally is not there uh, as a kind of as a reason to condone homosexual behavior. Other translations translate that same phrase. Uh, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, says, Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. And then there's a footnote that says, i.e., have intercourse with them. The King James, 
which is probably the most accurate in terms. This says, bring them out that we may know them. And uh, so it doesn't, it just says that we may know them. The New Living Translation says, bring them out so we can have sex with them. And the same thing for the NIV. But uh, number six, it says, words get their meaning by the context that you're used. And so if we read on, we can get the context of this. It says, so Lot went out to them uh, through the doorway and shut the door behind him. And verse 7, and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Uh, See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to the men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. So um, I think it's fairly safe to assume, assume that, you know, what what Lot does here kind of disgusts me, but he offers up his virgin daughters as, um, you know, I don't know. The uh, question is, why would he do that? I don't know. Uh, but it seems reasonable, though, that in the context of what we just read, that it, there was this, that they said they wanted to know these guys. It was in a, definitely in a sexual manner. And then verse nine, we're gonna we're gonna cover this whole topic, probably in more detail than anybody really wants to. But I feel like we need to go through it. Uh, verse nine, it says, and they said, "Stand back." Then they said, "This is the one who came to stay here." They're talking about Lot, and he Lot keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you, meaning Lot, than them. So these guys that are. The mob is trying to get the the men, the angels that are staying with Lot up, and Lot kind of makes a stand for them. They're mad at him, and they're saying, "Man, we're going to do worse things to you than to them." So they pressed, so they pressed hard against the man Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men, meaning the angels, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them, and shut the door, and they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house uh, with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. So uh, this is actually the the first time that homosexual behavior is mentioned in the Bible. And it's mentioned directly or indirectly in actually several places. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to go through some, uh, uh, what I would call, they're just difficult passages to read. Uh, and Judges 19, I don't know if you guys have ever read Judges 19, but it what it does is it documents an attempted homosexual rape of a Levite man, uh, as well as a gang rape of his concubine. And, but it's remarkably similar to what happened here in Sodom and Gomorrah. So basically, to kind of give you, it's, it pretty much covers most of the chapter, but just in the interest of time, it says uh, in 19, there's a, a man, he's traveling home from retrieving his runaway concubine wife. He, he had this concubine, she ran away to her home. and She was acting as the harlot there. So he went there and got her, and he's bringing her back. and uh, And so... They 
they're at this point, they determine they're going to spend the night in the town square. And so at this point, they're invited by uh, the house of an old man returning home from work. So in uh, Genesis 19:20 for 28, it says, And the, man, the old man said, Peace be with you. However, let your needs be my responsibility. Do not spend the night uh, in the open square. So he brought them into his house and gave fodder for the donkey to the donkeys, and and they washed their feet and they ate and drank. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house, beat the door, beat on the door, and they spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, "Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally." And it's the the translation of that word that's a New King James word, but it's basically the same idea that they had in. Genesis 19, but but the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly, seeing this man has come into my house. Uh, do not commit this outrage. Uh, and then verse 24 says, Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where the master was till it was light. When her master arose in the morning, he opened the door of the house and went out to go on his way. There was his concubine fallen in the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said, get up and let's get going. But there was no answer. Actually, uh, she's dead. Okay, if you read the rest of this chapter, uh, she died. And uh, uh, But... You know, there's so many similarities between this account and what happened in Genesis. you got to wonder if the angels had not intervened, uh, what would have happened to uh, Lot's daughters. Uh, it says, So the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. And uh, I, I have to tell you, when I read this, it is very disturbing to me. I mean, it's very, very graphic. Uh, it's a very nasty account, uh, but, I mean, if you really wanted to read, I read it. I read before and after this here, but I just wanted to see there's almost a parallel thing happening in another part of the Bible. But this actually ended up in a, a war between the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Levi, this incident. But uh, it's pretty grotesque. So, uh, in... Uh, Number seven, it says, uh, Judges 19, 20 through 28, is nearly the same as Genesis 19, 1 through 11. It's very disturbing. Uh, I had a hard time with that, to be honest with you. Uh, So, but back to, uh, these are the things that I took from the, the passage in the judges describes homosexual behavior, and then these are the words that were 
in there, and I took it from a couple of different translations, just perverted, evil, wickedly, wicked, shameful, folly, outrage, outrageous, vile, all words that probably don't, wouldn't lend themselves to something that was good and acceptable in the eyes of God. Uh, But I think the last verse in the book of Judges sums up the perpetrators in Judges 19. And the book of Judges ends this way. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, question eight, the fill in the blank. It's just in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, he's prophesying to Jerusalem and Judah. And so in Ezekiel 16, uh, 49 and 50, he says, Look, this, is, this was your iniquity of your sister Sodom. He's, he's basically in this passage, if you read the whole thing, so you can get some context. He's telling Jerusalem and Judah, you know how bad Sodom and Gomorrah was? You guys are even worse. Okay, that's what he's saying. So he uses this as an example. So 49, he says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So Sodom was guilty of neglecting the poor and the needy. And then, so in your handout, Sodom was, number nine, Sodom was guilty of pride and neglecting the poor and needy. And then 50, it says, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me, and I took them away as I saw fit. So in number 10, they committed abomination before God. So I really studied into this quite a bit, this idea of abomination and kind of putting it in the whole timeline. And I believe that uh, what was going on in Ezekiel's mind, Ezekiel was definitely under the law of Moses. And so um, what Leviticus number uh, Leviticus uh, 18.22, let me get just caught up here. It says, uh, you shall not lie with a male as a woman it is an abomination. So I think, so number 11 is, uh, is an abomination. So I believe that when he was talking in verse uh, 50, they committed abomination before God. If you just read the first verse, it's possible, and there are teachers that will teach that the sin of Sodom was, you know, they weren't taking care of the poor. And I think that is a sin. But if you read the next verse right after, it's definitely connected, and they committed an abomination before me. And so the abomination was certainly Leviticus 18.22. And that's another real fun chapter to read also, Leviticus 18. There's all sorts of sexual laws there. And and the thing of it is, is that a lot of people would say that, well, you know, all this stuff is Old Testament stuff and it doesn't uh, have anything to do with us today. But to be honest with you, 
the New Testament is really in harmony with the Old Testament on this subject. So, and uh, I do have to say that it it hasn't been good so far, but it's going to get better. <laughs> so, uh, so the Old Testament or the New Testament's in harmony with the Old. And so, there's a few scriptures that I wanted to just look at, and this is just basic, you know, Christianity 101 here. Second uh, Timothy 3:16. It says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or it's God breathed. Right? It's like it came from God's own lips. And it's and it's uh, profitable for doctrine. Okay. And so doctrine is teaching. So it's profitable for what is right. It's for reproof. And so reproof is what is not right. All right. For correction, or how to get right. All right for instruction in righteousness, or how to stay right. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we have to keep that in mind. And the it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So everything, the totality of the book, is from God. So you really, it's difficult to pick and choose. Now there's some things we know uh, like the Levitical diet, that's gone away. Because in Acts, we got new revelation. Peter got new revelation on that. But there are things that are in the Old Testament that I would say is timeless truth. And so if you look at the, the things where it's the, in, the, in the area of morality, the stuff that is talked about in the Old Testament, the vast majority of the moral stuff still applies today. Because if you violate the moral things... In general, bad things happen as a result. They just do. If you look at the moral laws that are in the Old Testament, they still apply today. I mean, if you want to violate those those moral laws, and then you're going to pay the consequence. So, um, yeah. And Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comforts of the scriptures, might have hope. So these stories that are in there, maybe this judge's thing was there to be uh, disturbing so that we would try to avoid anything like that. So so I'm going to read some New Testament stuff here. In Romans chapter 1, uh, this is an interesting piece of scripture here. Um, it says that, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We kind of see that going on right now where people, they're trying to scrub God from the public square. Okay? Trying to suppress the truth. 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Okay, it's part of who we are. For God has shown it to them. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse, because though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but came futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man 
and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, uh, who exchanged the truth of God for of the lie and worshiped the serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So I just want to stop and talk about verse 24 here because uh, I found this out 10 years ago but when I was doing research, but it's even it's been exponentially more now than it was 10 years ago. It says in verse 24, it says, Therefore, also, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And so what some teachers would say is that the homosexual behavior is something that God created as a result of idol worship. Okay? In other words, those who choose to interpret it this way, uh, uh, interpret this passage like this, are blaming God for homosexual behavior. But, you know, in light of everything else, it's, it's just hard to do that um, it's really actually predictable human behavior if you it goes right back to the garden if uh, Adam's response uh, after eating you know the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 3:12 then the man said the woman whom you gave gave to be with me she gave me of the tree and I ate so hey God it's your fault because you gave me her she gave it to me. So it's kind of the same kind of idea for people that would try to interpret this verse to say, well, God is the one who did this, which is uh, not true. Verse 26, it says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned and their lust for one another, uh, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, Evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Like, that's a good one to fall into. Let's invent something that's evil. Hasn't been invented before. Wow. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practices, who practice them. So, you know, in the broad context of Romans, this passage was, it was written to convict the world of sin, the first three chapters. I mean, that's what it's all about. God's, God, Paul's creating like an airtight legal case to convict the world of sin. And so, uh, it it calls out a bunch of different sins, but it specifically uh, it has homosexual behaviors in there also. So let's look at 
Paul is writing the letter to Timothy, and he deals with homosexual behavior there. First Timothy 1, 8 through 11, he says, But we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers and fathers, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Um, So, um, it's basically what he's saying here is that, you know, homosexual behavior is contrary to sound doctrine, good teaching. So there we are. First um, Corinthians uh, six nine through eleven. This is we're almost done here. This is really a key verse, uh, a key set of verses, uh, starting at verse nine. It says, "Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers." nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty extensive list, and you can see the homosexual behavior is in there. But here is where the hope comes in here, and this is where it gets better. Verse 11, it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. So clearly, um, uh, there had been, there were people in the Corinthian church that had practiced all of these things. And it's a pretty long list, uh, you know, and homosexual behavior is in there. Uh, but, but clearly, uh, homosexual behavior is sin, but it's not like the unpardonable sin. It gets mixed up in there with a whole bunch of other things. I mean, uh, uh, thievery or drunkards is in that same list, which uh, creates a kind of a difficult situation because uh, there's definitely uh, what I would call, I think I've said it before, the Hatfields and McCoy, uh, you know, thing between the church and the homosexual community. And uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that says homosexual uh, behavior is not not acceptable to God. It's just not. Uh, but according to this verse here, it's in, this, in that same verse as drunkards or, you know, or thieves or, you know, covetousness. I mean... What's that? Well, I think what it is is, well, well, I think what it is is that uh, the idea here is that there's grace and and grace can deliver you from that. 
and it really boils down to uh, kind of a hard attitude. Um, I mean, there are a lot of people that would, you know, that would refuse to that would refuse to stop drinking, or you know, or refuse to stop stealing, whatever. So, in, in that case, it really boils down to a hard attitude, and you know, are you willing to humble yourself before God? I think is what the the idea is here, and I actually, ten years ago when I when I first started looking at this seriously, um, I went and I I went to there was a local church that had a ministry for people that were convicted of homosexual uh, behavior, and they I mean in their hearts they were convicted not not by the law, and I showed up and there was a supposed to be a meeting on a certain night and I showed up and there's a big church and you know, the parking lot's like totally empty and I went to the room where we're supposed to be and there's nobody there and I went and found a janitor and, and uh, it had been shut down and that they weren't having it for whatever reason either it was someplace else or they canceled the meeting that night so I was kind of sitting in the parking lot figuring out well what am I going to do and this guy pulls in a truck and he gets out of his truck and he walks over to the same building where that room where I was at. And he kind of did the same thing. Evidently, I went over. So I went over and struck up a conversation with the guy. And uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, conversation uh, because we actually, he was concerned about uh, different levels of sin because he, what he had experienced. I mean, he was really outside of the pale of what you would, you know, the common perception of what a, you know, homosexual guy is how they're portrayed on the media or however he just didn't fit that mold at all and uh, but he was concerned about is there different levels of sin and the thing that he had struggled with is uh, with this verse here where it's the sin of uh, homosexuals and sodomites is kind of mixed in with a bunch of other stuff why was uh, why was the you know, homosexuality such a, uh, uh, I guess, more light shined on uh, homosexuality. And to be honest with you, I, I don't have an answer. I don't think anybody really does, but I do know that there is this, uh, it's almost like an enmity between homosexual community and uh, the Christian community. And there's, uh, I know there's groups of, uh, Christian parents that have uh, homosexual children and they've been, uh, you know, ostracized by churches. I mean, basically kind of banned because, you know, their children were practicing this behavior. And so um, I, I really I really don't know the answer to it. I just know when I read this list here that uh, there's a bunch of other stuff in that list that maybe isn't. Uh, you know, seen as such a bad thing as homosexual behavior. And I don't understand that myself. Uh, But the key to this is, in verse 11, is, and such were some of you. So there are people that were practicing these things and have been delivered from that, right? He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, right? Sanctified, you're set apart, you're justified, right? 
Justified means that because of what Jesus did, God's justified to bring you in. Okay? It's a legal thing. Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So let's go. i got one more verse I want to read here. In Genesis, remember I said we're going to come back to Genesis. Verse 5 is the one that we read before. It says, Then the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So dot, dot, dot. I skipped verse 6 because I wanted it to fit. So verse 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. And then verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I think that's the the pivotal verse. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, God chose Noah because I think that it says... Uh, says that uh, every intent and thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. But in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I think technically God could have taken Noah out also. But we have this idea of grace. And uh, grace is something that's hard for people to comprehend that, that God provides a way for us to have a relationship with him. And it doesn't matter if your sin is, you know, everything in this list. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, all of those. It doesn't matter. If you'll humble yourself before God and say, God, I know that Jesus paid the penalty for me. God, that's what it means when he says he's justified. As a judge, he's justified to bring you into heaven because... Jesus has already paid the price for you on the sin uh, on the cross. So, I think too that a lot of times we forget about it because we come to church, and the Bible has a lot to say about how to live the right life. And through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we learn how to live that kind of life. And the longer we're in it, then we learn how to live it. But the uh, the idea is is that a lot of times we forget. We forget that in reality we're in the same group here that's listed as not going to inherit the, the kingdom of God. It's only because of Jesus and what he did and his sacrifice. So um, I think that might have something to do with the, the clash between the, the church and the homosexual community. I think the other part of it is just everyone has to humble themselves before God because the bottom line is God is God and I'm not. So it's his program. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for your grace and Lord that uh, we know that you're a righteous judge and that, uh, that you only want what is good for us. And Father, I just uh, pray that as we think about these verses that we read, that we would understand where you're coming from and that you are God and that you love us. And no matter what it is that we've done, it doesn't matter if we humble ourselves before you and believe in Jesus that we will have eternal life with you forever. We just thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.